Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on double 1925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's ruling ANC launches its election manifesto and Zimbabwean government hikes fuel prices amid serious shortages. In economics news, South Africa's Reserve Bank urged to broaden its focus and in sports news, South African proteas in command in the final test against Pakistan. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussant. Gabon's Prime Minister has announced a new government in a video message recorded in Morocco where ailing President Ali Bongo is recovering from a stroke. Recently appointed Julian Hungoche Bakale gave details of the reshuffle in, a foot- in footage broadcast late Saturday on state television. The announcement comes a few days after the country foiled an attempted coup. Gabon has been without effective government for months since Bongo suffered the stroke in October during a visit to Saudi Arabia. A new cabinet was also announced on Saturday evening by the Presidential Secretary Jean-Yves Salier and another video message recorded in Morocco. No significant changes were made to either the cabinet or the government. South Africa says it agrees with SADC's organ on defense and politics chair and Zambia's president, Edgar Lungu, has proposed that the Democratic Republic of Congo stakeholders consider a negotiated settlement on the disputed presidential election results. Earlier, South Africa's International Relations Minister, Lindiwe Sisulu, said they would support seeking ways to solve the current impasse in the DRC that can be endorsed by all stakeholders in the DRC. Sisulu says South Africa, as a UN Security Council non-permanent member has proposed a mediation team to the DRC while the country awaits the outcome of the constitutional court challenge by the lose of the election, Marte Fayulu. The proposal from South Africa that we send uh, a mediating team was not to preempt what would be done, but to say in addition to anything else, which is what we were proposing should happen going through the constitutional court, in addition to all of that, we would consider as a United Nations Security Council sending a mediating team to make sure that the peace that prevailed in the DRC prevails right through until the final outcome of the results and the final outcome of the Constitutional Court. 
South Africa's ruling ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa has told supporters that the party will be deploying people who are fit and proper into government after the 2019 general elections. Ramaphosa delivered the ANC's election manifesto which coincided with the party's 107th anniversary celebrations in the coastal city of Durban. He conceded the party had misstepped in the past and was ready to self-correct and has asked South Africans to give the ANC another chance to govern. Ramaphosa says the ANC's national and provincial lists will reflect its renewed commitment to serve. We will soon release the list of those who are going to represent you in our parliament, who will also represent you in our provincial legislatures. These will be men and women who will dedicate themselves to go and work hard to see to the attainment of the ideals of the National Democratic Revolution. Meanwhile, opposition DA leader Musi Maimani says the ANC's election manifesto has nothing but more empty promises. Maimani was on a campaign trail in the south of Johannesburg. The DA is set to officially launch its 2019 election manifesto on the 23rd of next month. Maimani says unemployment among the youth is one of the critical issues that are driving the DA's election campaign. He has urged voters to register ahead of the national poll in May. I want to urge all of them to say, let's come out and register on the 26th and 27th that they are registered to build that one South Africa for all. It's about their future. It cannot be that we live in a country where the majority of people who are unemployed are young people. We have the highest unemployment level in the whole world. And I think that's something that must concern us, and the majority of those are young people. This is their time. I want to get as many of them registered to vote and bring about the change they need. And finally, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has confirmed that his country carried out airstrikes on Friday night at Damascus International Airport in Syria. Netanyahu says these are the latest in what have been hundreds of Israeli attacks in Syria on military targets linked to Iran. Only in the last 36 hours did the Air Force attack Iranian warehouses with Iranian weapons at Damascus International Airport. The backlog of recent attacks proves that we are more determined than ever to act against Iran in Syria, just as we promised. And that's the news. It lands at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza, Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. I'm an actress, I'm a motivational speaker, born with albinism. Um, the nurse first asked my mother, is your husband white? My mother said, no, why are you asking me that question? When I grew up, there was no publication of person with albinism disappearing, mm. being stolen. You see, it was happening, but there was no exposure as it happening now. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, 
and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Bule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. The election manifesto of South Africa's ruling African National Congress, the ANC, was dominated by the party's plans to grow the economy and create more jobs. The ANC's election offering was delivered by President Silva Maposa to a full capacity crowd at Durban's Moses Mabida Stadium on Saturday, the 12th of January. Busi Chimombe reports. The joblessness suffered by over 9 million South Africans is a tragedy of vast proportions, according to the ANC. It says it plans, through the measures outlined in its 2019 election manifesto, to attract investment to transform the economy and provide opportunities for millions of South Africans. Party President Cyril Ramaphosa. We will intensify our efforts to restore investor confidence in our country We will implement reforms in economic sectors that have greatest potential to grow and create jobs. We will take measures to lower the cost of doing business in South Africa and increase productivity and improve competitiveness. We will implement the agreements that were reached at the Presidential Job Summit. Growth. The manifesto insists must be inclusive to allow more people to benefit, including women, people in the rural areas, and the youth. To this day, townships and villages remain dormitories for most of our people, far from economic opportunities and often without adequate social amenities. We will encourage the growth of enterprises in these areas through a dedicated fund that supports the development of industrial parks, business centers, and incubation centers as well. Land reform is a crucial aspect to broaden the stake of ordinary citizens in the economy, with the manifesto touching briefly on the current approach and processes that have been taken most recently. The party says it hopes to bring about a skills revolution, making sure that the education curricula is in line with technological innovations and giving additional financial support to students. Free education for students from poor and working class backgrounds will be expanded this year to cover both first and second year students and we will be progressively rolled out over the next few years. We congratulate the young people of our country for having made a call on their government for free education. And free education is now being implemented on a progressive basis. The party once again reiterated its support for universal health care, saying it will finalize legislation to enable the rollout of the long-mooted national health insurance. Meanwhile, Ramaphosa has called for harsher sentences for the perpetrators of gender-based violence and also urged the men present at the stadium to stand up, literally, against gender-based violence.
more and better skilled police and prosecution authorities are needed to improve the capacity to investigate and prosecute all crimes, especially gender-based violence and sexual assault. They must face the consequences of their evil deeds. The ANC president acknowledged that the party has misstepped in a number of areas, including some of its members being involved in corruption and state capture. He called for the intensification of efforts to renew the ANC branches and their role in society. All leaders and members should focus, yes, their efforts on making sure that our branches remain strong organs of civil society, that our branches reflect the broader composition of the communities where they are located They lead in addressing community concerns. Finally, the event saw the honoring of the party's stalwarts with Winnie Matikizela Mandela, Albertina Sisulu, Charlotte Makreke and Ahmed Timau receiving the party's award for bravery, Isi Twalande Award posthumously. And it was also bestowed on Dennis Goldman, John Kadimeng and Sophie Debrain. That report by Busi Chimombe in Durban, South Africa. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. It's 8.13 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Now, fuel prices in Zimbabwe have more than doubled on Sunday. Petrol prices have risen to 3 US dollars 31 cents from 1 US dollar 24 cents a litre and diesel prices to 3 dollars 11 cents from 1 US dollar 36 cents a litre. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by our correspondent in Zimbabwe, Simon Muchema. Simon, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Compliments of the New Year, Simon. Did you have a good one? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, the only thing that is that after the holiday, you come back and the country is burning. <laughs> now, let's speak about this contentious issue. Fuel prices, some of them more than 300% in doubling. Talk to us about that. What's the reaction of the, the people of Zimbabwe on the ground? Uh, Zimbabwe, we were actually taken aback on Saturday night when uh, the president, Emerson Mnangagwa, made the announcement that uh, fuel prices were going up and that subsidies by government towards the fuel purchases and imports was now uh, going to be a thing of the past. So a lot of uh, economists, business people, retailers uh, were shocked. We don't have many people uh, as a working force, which is... Um, uh, the, the formal working uh, force, most of the people are informal, 
some of them could not even understand the implications of the fuel increases, but a number of those who are formerly employed were complaining that uh, government could, uh, could be insincere to a certain extent because they have refused actually to, to own up to uh, salary increase demands of more than 100%, but uh, on one hand they are increasing fuel by more than 300%, and there's a, an effect to whatever they have done on Saturday because uh, drugs are going to increase by the same margin, food, uh, food prices are going uh, to go up by the same margin, almost everything, including transport, especially the issue of transport now, is one which we have already started witnessing uh, commuter omnibuses hiking from 50 cents to about $3 per trip. Some we had to hike from $1 uh, to about $4, some $5. So it is chaotic at the moment. Many people don't even know uh, what to do because we are now uh, basing on the salary that they got in December, just ahead of the festive season and the schools opening when school fees had already gone up as well and most parents were struggling to send their kids to school and now the fuel price goes up just a week after the schools closing uh, schools opening so for many families it's haywire they don't know what to do because uh, the majority of people in zimbabwe are living under the datum poverty line so they don't have anywhere else to go now because they feel the government they put them under the bus now simon has there been any indication as to the reasons behind this staggering increase with already fuel shortages in the country and other shortages, um, for instance, in stores and, and uh, you know, food shortages? What's the reasoning behind it? The main problem from what we're hearing, the experts telling us, is that uh, uh, government has been subsidizing fuel imports for quite a number of years. And uh, they actually regulate the price increases and even how the industries run in Zimbabwe through um, an organization called ZERA. It's an energy regulating authority for Zimbabwe. So it's called Zimbabwe Energy Regulating Authority. They are the ones who are mandated to make sure they oversee how fuel comes into Zimbabwe. Now the problem here is that the government has been insisting that uh, the U.S. dollar and the bond note that we are using here. By the way, Zimbabwe started using the mount current system based on the greenback, the U.S. dollar, in 2009. And from that time, uh, Zimbabwe was okay until 2018, when now uh, the U.S. dollar was in short supply. Then the country uh, introduced the bond note as a way of cushioning uh, the, the, the customers and citizens so that when they don't have the U.S. dollar, they can simply use the bond note which is equated at one to one. But now the bond note is no longer there on the market. You go to the banks, you can't withdraw your money. Later on last year, the government then said they are creating two accounts. The one account is called Nostra account, where foreign currency comes in, and the local currency is now called ARA TGS account. Now, U.S. dollar is in short supply, but the government was saying the U.S. dollar is at par with the bond note one to one. But if you go on the black market, the parallel market, the bond note is actually uh, devalued to 350% whenever you introduce a U.S. dollar on the market. So it is not at par, one is to one, like what the government is saying, because you go into the shop, the prices have even gone up by the same margin, 350%, some 400%. Now with the new price increase of fuel on Saturday, 
It then means within six months, prices in Zimbabwe are likely to go up by at least a thousand percent or even between 700 percent to 1,000 percent. And this is what Zimbabweans are saying is too much. And so for so many people are just relying on salaries, which is still in bond notes. They cannot afford anymore. And many school dropouts are going to be experienced. Uh, People are going to be depressed. A number of them are going to drop from work because it's no longer... Um, making sense for someone to wake up every morning, going to work, and whenever they receive a salary, it's worth $50 or even $30 in U.S. dollars. It's not making sense for so many people. Now, Simon, there are untested allegations from industry insiders and state officials who allege that uh, President Mnangagwa has interest in the fuel industry through uh, Zuva Petroleum. A few, this is a fuel importer and majority industry player. What do you know about these allegations? Have they been um, confirmed? What's the status there? To be honest with you, these allegations have been made for several years. Mugabe, before he was dethroned, he's the first person who actually came out openly telling the world that uh, Emerson Mnangagwa was one of the richest people in Zimbabwe because he had interest in so many sectors, including the, the petroleum sector. And uh, some can confirm that uh, he owns Zua Petroleum, he's the chairperson. Some are also saying that he also has interest in Puma um, Petroleum, uh, which is owned by uh, uh, Kudakwashi Tagwire. Apparently, Kudakwashi Tagwire is his best friend. Kudakwashi Tagwire is a module in Zimbabwe. He's the biggest person in terms of fuel and uh, any petroleum uh, uh, issues in Zimbabwe. He calls the shots. Now, the problem with Tagwire is that, uh, if for, 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 for instance, if he does not agree on any proposition by the government, he, he, he throws the spanners into the playground, and this is the reason why you find some fuel could not be found for the past one and a half weeks, and there was chaos, chaos, long queues, and there were fights at every queue because now people are so desperate. The issue now, from what we're understanding, is that Amazon Nangago had to be cornered by some of these players in the fuel industry to make sure he makes these changes uh, to the fuel prices. But the mistake is doing, like what the economists are saying, is that uh, you come up with fuel price increases without a policy announcement. Because tomorrow, you come up again with another fuel increase. The day after tomorrow, another fuel price increase. The bottom line is the Zimbabwean government is supposed to reform the currency, bring its own currency, or adopt a single currency, for instance, the land, or even the U.S. dollar, and do away with the bond. Because the bond is causing uh, problems in Zimbabwe since the government is, is refusing to liberalize it so that at least the market will determine the exchange rate. The one is to one insistence as to U.S. dollar is the one which is causing a problem. So there are so many allegations against Mnangagwa, but the problem with that man is that uh, he is so uh, quiet and sometimes most of the allegations you cannot prove them because... Uh, you go to the paperwork, his names are not there. So it's quite a challenge at the moment, and it's still a mystery as to whether it is true that he has interest in the petroleum industry or not. But uh, anything can go because uh, this man has been in government since 1980, and he might have influence in almost every sector, like the allegations are saying.
Now, the timing of uh, this announcement of the increases happened Saturday evening, and this is before um, uh, President Nagagwa started on his tour of, uh, I think, uh, Switzerland and uh, the EU, some of the EU nations. Just tell us about that. Is there, should we be looking at underlying, um, you know, issues there? Yeah, definitely. And this is what uh, most players have been saying, the political experts and economists have been saying, that uh, Monangagwa doesn't seem to be in control of the ship now. The ship should, could, could, have been, could now be uh, captained by someone else. He's not the leader uh, in Zanupia or even in government, but there are underlying factors that are pushing uh, Emerson Monangagwa to act the way he's doing, because fuel price increase announced on a Saturday and even at night is something queer that we never expected in Zimbabwe because if it is a business announcement, people would expect it to be announced during the day and on a working day. Now he had to, to announce it before he left for his long trip outside uh, Zimbabwe. Maybe, according to what other people were saying, is that uh, he was preempting. Uh, the decision by the government upon his visit to this country so that at least he would appeal to the country's way he's going as a president who knows how to implement certain policies that are likely going to benefit those countries where he is going at the moment. But if you look at almost all the countries where he's going, those countries are also suffering as well economically, and the Zimbabwe are wondering what is it that Zimbabwe could benefit from Belarus and so forth. Those, those countries are also looking for assistance, somewhere, somehow. So Zimbabweans are, are worried. They don't even know what is happening here now. Now, way forward, some people seem to believe or think that if President uh, uh, Emerson Nagagwa brings in the opposition leader, Nelson Chamisa, to assist in fixing the economy. Do you think this is a possibility? And do you think that uh, um, a coalition would be able to fix the economy of Zimbabwe? The main problem here is that uh, ZANU-PF officials, including Yosem Nangagwa, are so arrogant. They don't want to be seen as if they failed. And they don't want to bring in a new player who would actually come and diffuse and neutralize everything so that the economy would start running smoothly. They would actually be doing that in their own uh, period because uh, that would be an admission that they failed. They don't want to do that. But they will either be forced by the international community because from the way we are seeing it, the Matum Nangago wants to appease the international community so desperate for the FDI, Foreign Direct Investment in Zimbabwe. And this is the main key. Uh, you find uh, why Zimbabwe is not producing enough to uh, attract foreign, uh, sorry, foreign currency into Zimbabwe. Because the foreign currency uh, shortage is the one which has caused all these problems. So Nangagwa is desperate. He needs uh, the money. He needs investment. But he cannot do it from a Zanupia's point of view because they have been discredited. Uh, from the election time and even from the coup period. So Munangagwa definitely needs a, a Chamisa or even someone else who might not be Chamisa, but who comes in with the better minds to make sure that everything settles down and the country starts to move on. But we know in ZANU-PF we've got arrogant people who don't want to admit that they failed and someone new can come in and uh, push the country forward. Simon, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now.
Thank you so much. That's our correspondent in Zimbabwe, Simon Muchema, joining us on the line from the capital, Harare. Afri-capitalism is about the intersection of economic prosperity and social wealth. On the 21st of this month, the Shed Value Africa Initiative Summit will take place at Lily's Leaf Farm just outside the city of Johannesburg in South Africa. High-powered business people of all ages will meet to strategically assess the challenges of facing business on our continent and set an agenda for 2019 to 2020. If you cannot make it, do not worry. Join Channel Africa from 1100 hours to 1200 hours Central African time for live coverage of the event. Together, we can create the Africa we want and build shared value ecosystems across the continent to grow the Africa economy for all. So join us on the 21st of January for the Shared Value Africa Initiative Summit. Channel Africa bringing you the African Perspective. Refugees from the Democratic Republic of the Congo who are living in Tanzania have commented on the results of the presidential election in their country, stating that they may return to their country if the newly elected president strengthens peace and security. Our correspondent, Prosper Lorenk Kwigize, visited one of the refugee camps in Kigoma and filed this report. Speaking to the channel Africa during a weekend in Nyarugusu refugee camp in Kigoma, Tanzania, they have said that the former government has failed to manage security in the eastern regions and that the failure of Joseph Kabira's choice can make a difference. Alfani Mbalu, the secretary of the youth community in Nyarugusu refugee camp, claimed that the DRC has been in peace and security challenges for a long time and that the election and its result will ready citizens who were forced to flee their country to feel about returning back home. I expect that there will be a peace which will attract us to go back Congo to live with our family members who were left in Congo. Joel Akirimari is one of the young refugee ladies who do not have enough history about their country due to being born and growing in exile, saying that now the DRC has given them hope to have peace after having democratic election. We are happy that President Kabila has handed over the power to another president. I am confident that Congo will be democratically governed and peace will prevail. However, some refugees are joining the opposition in the DRC who is in complaining that the declared winner is not entitled and that Etienne Kisekedi will be under control of President Kabila. Mr. Kilonzo Mulinda suspects that the election and its result can emerge into a new conflict if there will be no reconciliation between Fayuru and Tisekedi. As we have been listening to the radio, Fayuru was expected to become a winner instead of son of Chisekedi. Tanzania currently is hosting about 100,000 refugees from DRC who have lived for a long time in Kigoma region without any plan to return to their country due to fear of insecurity, especially in the eastern province of Congo. Prosper Kwigize, Channel Africa, Kigoma, Tanzania. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, Gabon has announced a new government and cabinet in video messages recorded in Morocco where ailing President Ali Bongo is recovering from a stroke. South Africa says it agrees with SADC's organ on defense and politics chair Edgar Lungu who has proposed that the DRC stakeholders consider a negotiated settlement on the disputed presidential election results. And Indonesia has found the cockpit voice recorder from a Lion airplane more than two months after the jet crashed into the sea near Jakarta. Those are the stories making headlines. Securing access to thousands of people affected by fighting in Myanmar's Rakhine state is a priority for the United Nations, the organization's top relief official in the country told UN News last week. Amid clashes between Arakan army separatists and the Myanmar military, which is sending more troops to the area, acting resident coordinator and humanitarian coordinator for Myanmar, Nat Odsby, told Daniel Johnson that there could be quite an immediate escalation of the situation before calling for all sides to find a peaceful solution to the crisis. Yes, I think the situation, as far as we know, it has not broken up to major fighting, but there has been more troop build-ups as far as we know. And are you clear on how many people have been killed in the violence? Well, so far, we are aware of the 13 police officers who were killed in the attacks on the four police posts on Fort January, and we regret very much this loss of life. We express sympathies and condolences to their families. But for what is going to happen now, we, of course, we appeal to all sides, take into consideration the situation of the civilian population and to look at how a peaceful solution can be can be found. We are worried that further fighting could lead to uh, further suffering of the civilian population. And let's talk about the civilian population then. Who exactly is suffering and who has been displaced? You talk of many thousands of people who have been affected by this violence to date. It is a very dynamic situation. We had a rough estimate of 4,500 people who were displaced so far. But this can change on a short notice. It's people who've been displaced where there has been active fighting who can then go back very shortly thereafter or other people who are not able to go back. So we had this estimate, but it changes. It will be changing all the time. So it's a fluid situation, you say, but what kind of access do you have then to those who've been forced to flee this violence in northern and central Rakhine State? We have had a problem with humanitarian access in this area for quite a long time, since uh, 2017, and the access has not improved. We uh, are worried that uh, if there is new major displacement and new need for major humanitarian assistance, that the access we are having will will not be sufficient to deliver the uh, assistance needed. But how many people actually do need humanitarian assistance right now from the United Nations and its partners on the ground, those who can access the people in need? Well, we have the estimated need, number of people who need humanitarian assistance uh, for our humanitarian plan for 2019 is around 800,000 across the country. 
and a very large portion of these in Hennepin State. These are both people who live in camps, in displacement camps, but also people who live outside displacement camps who are in need of humanitarian assistance. And that tallies with figures from another UN agency, the World Food Programme, that provides food to around a million people who've been displaced in Myanmar. And they are victims of ongoing violence in many parts of the country. So how would you assess the humanitarian situation in Myanmar more generally? Yeah, as you mentioned, there is a very large number of people in need of humanitarian assistance. This has continued for some time. The conflict in some parts of the country has gone on for 70 years, but the intensity of the conflict has changed back and forth over time. Just now, there is a ceasefire in place in the north and east of the country, so we are hoping that the situation will improve there. But that ceasefire does not include the Rakhine State, and that's where we are worried that there would be new escalation that would lead to new suffering of the civilian population. And how do you assess that threat, given the mass exodus of, what, 700,000 Rohingya Muslims to neighbouring Bangladesh from August 2017? Yeah, there was this mass exodus of uh, Rohingya late 2017, mostly. There are, we, we estimate, a little under 600,000 Rohingya left in Rakhine State, both in camps and outside camps. There is also the ethnic Rakhine population and people from other ethnic groups that now constitute, of course, the majority of the remaining population in the state. So this, the whole population in the area we are worried that the fighting will escalate is, is, is at risk from all ethnic groups. There has been uh, statements from government that they will have a major military operation to crush the uh, opposition who made these attacks. We have heard that there has been a major increase in troop numbers in these areas, and that gives the reason for concern that there, there could be a quite immediate escalation of fighting. Yes, and just talking about the government there, you say that the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs and you yourself, you've been in contact with the government. Which parts of the government? The military, the civilian authorities, who? We are in contact with the local authorities in Rakhine, first and foremost, to try to negotiate what kind of access we could get. We're also on a regular basis in contact with the union government in the, in the capital. And given that uh, announcement that they are going to send more troops and attempt to, quotes unquote, crush the separatist violence there, it's not particularly reassuring and presumably conditions of elsewhere in Rakhine State are not at all suitable for the return of those refugees, uh, Rohingya refugees who uh, fled to Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh. Yes, we believe that the focus should be on trying to maintain a peaceful situation and to improve the situation, to make conditions such that the people can return. That uh, requires addressing both human rights concerns and material concerns uh, of the situation of this uh, Rohingya population. So we continue to advocate for this. We continue to advocate for uh, more humanitarian access to those who need it. And we also have a regular cooperation with government to try to do more both on the humanitarian and development side. But we feel that there is a lot more that should be done and could be done if we had more access. That is Acting Resident Coordinator and Humanitarian Coordinator for Myanmar, Nat Otsby, speaking to you in Radio's Daniel Johnson.
Cries for the decriminalization of sex work in South Africa got a major boost when the national sex worker movement, Sisonke, the police services and other key organizations met in Durban last week to plot ways for sex workers to work in a safer environment. The dialogue in the port city follows a stem call by Sisonke to the country's government to hear the atrocities sex workers suffer from with the continued criminalization of the industry. Sisonke is the only sex workers movement in South Africa. For more on this issue, Jane Matebula spoke to Katlejo Resibize from Sisonke, a national sex workers movement in South Africa. It was for the first time that the Deputy uh, Minister of the Police and also Aaron Motsoledi, which is for the, um, the Health Minister, were actually, you know, to, uh, head to heading this challenge that sex workers faces, whereby, like, uh, the Department of Health will be giving co- sex workers condoms and the police will be confiscating those condoms as evidence that in, indeed these people were wanted to, you know, do a crime, they were committing to prostitution. So we had to make sure that these two government departments, they come in one room and, you know, for the first time in South Africa, face this issue of condom confiscation and of which uh, sex workers we had about uh, close to 120 sex workers have attended and also partners from our partner organization like Lifeline and um, TDHIV Care, SISONG, which is the, 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 the sex work movement and civil society and it was hosted by SANAC whereby SWEAT was also dealt with uh, sex work education education testing Katleho, you emphasize that this was the first time that these two government departments, the police department and the health ministry engaged the sex worker movement. Um, just how significant is this? It was because of we couldn't each time make these two departments meet. Each time when we meet with uh, the police, that then the Department of Health is not there. And also the head of the police was there so that you can hear this from first-handed sex workers actually saying it, but it's a quite a huge challenge, not only because also in how it's happening, every province whether the police would actually use condom as evidence in terms of arresting sex workers. They were like, oh, I found you at the street corner and you're having more than 20 condoms and maybe 10 lubricants, which means we are here to do sex work and we arresting you here there's enough evidence then they will, you know, not even charge sex workers. So that for the first time, also the minister of health, I don't know to be there, to actually hear from sex workers themselves mentioning these things that these are some of the challenges that we are facing. Were you happy with um, how they responded to the plight of sex workers? What came out that you felt that was positive enough for the sex worker movement moving forward? Yeah, what, 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 what was, I have asked it was for the two departments to be actually allowing that this behavior needs to come to an end and also the heads of the police also addressed and luckily after the whole dialogue, the two departments had to do what you call it an outreach where the, the, the deputy minister and also the, the office of the premier was there, had to go to sex workers to give back the condom with the police escort. And it was uh, one of its kind of events that has never happened in South Africa. Remember, it only happened once in the Eastern Cape where um, the president, upon hearing this, Cyril uh, Ramaphosa had to do an outreach to sex workers, which was in 2017 or in the World Aid Day, to do outreach to give back sex workers the condom that they say the police actually confiscate them for. And in terms of the decriminalization of sex work, what was said in that regard? Was that touched? Yes, also um, the deputy minister of the police also, he touched it again, or, or exactly what he said in, in, in the 8th 2018, 
whereby like he also reaffirms that he, he totally supports a call for decriminalization of sex work as much as it will take time because it's not just going to be an or you know oversight thing to just happen like that but he urges sex workers that you know to unite and make sure that you know every human rights violation that occur against them they must report and making sure that not they report only, but also making sure that they're also not breaking the law, because if they break the law, they will be arrested. And uh, what was asked for us, it was when the uh, Minister of Health, Aaron Mutaledi, invited sex workers themselves that, you know what, Moses Mabida on the first of tomorrow, actually, there's going to be a big event that's happening around the city. So invite sex workers, because they are the community of this guy, of this uh, of KZN, to come, and you know they are humans also, to come and celebrate the ANC as they're going to be celebrating the anniversary of 107 years, of which, you know, it has never happened of one of the public figures to be actually saying that to sex workers, to invite sex workers to such huge basic say you are more than welcome you humans you want to celebrate with you come in numbers you know that mobilization of the ministers it was a half of us so what next for the sex worker movement and or what more changes would you like to see we are this year it's the year whereby we are making to make sure that every organization that says they support a call to decriminalize sex work we want to make sure they must give us a proper plan. What do they really mean if you say we are sub- we are supporting you guys? We want everything to be black and white and must be written and it must be dated and documented that on this day, this organization, this XXX said this so. And we come for every organization in the past years that says we support because we want proper implementation. To what it really means when you say you support a call to decriminalize sex work. That's Koli Butelezi, Media Liaison Officer at Sisonke, a national sex workers movement in South Africa, speaking to Jane Rabotata. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Good morning. Zimbabwe's opposition MDC has called on government to reconsider its decision to increase fuel prices following outrage over a 150% price hike. President Emerson Mnangagwa announced the increase at a media briefing in the capital Harare on Saturday. MDC leader Nelson Chamesa has warned that government's action could lead to unrest in an already fragmented nation. It's clear that... um the situation is untenable, the economy is not working, the country is not functioning well, and it is so obvious to everyone. Everyone can see it, everyone can feel it. The situation is untenable, and our people are getting restless, which is not a a desirable situation. Meanwhile, the country will introduce a new currency in the next 12 months as a shortage of U.S. dollars has plunged the financial system into disarray and forced businesses to close. In the past two months, the country has suffered acute shortages of imported goods, including fuel. Zimbabwe abandoned its own currency in 2009 after it was wrecked by hyperinflation and adopted the greenback and other currencies such as sterling and the South African Rand. India's party Airtel has agreed to give part of its stake in Airtel Tanzania to the government to raise the East African nation's holding in the mobile phone operator to 49% from 40%.
The announcement followed talks in Dar es Salaam between President John Magufuli and Bati Airtel chairperson Sunil Mittal to resolve a dispute over ownership of the Tanzanian mobile operator. Bati Airtel would retain a 51% stake in the company without giving a value for shares being transferred to the government. South Africa's ruling party, the ANC, says that the central bank should broaden its focus to include boosting employment and economic growth, a move that could worry investors already concerned about the direction of economic policy. The African National Congress, which was governed South Africa since the end of apartheid in 1994 but has seen its majority wane, is trying to woo voters in the leader but to a parliamentary election expected to take place in May. The party, led by President Cyril Ramaphosa, wants to counter growing support for radical leftist economic freedom fighters, EFF, which wants the government to have a greater say in how the South African Reserve Bank is managed. The eight countries of the West African CFA franc zone plan to issue 4.8 billion US dollars in debt this year. The total for 2018 was less, mostly because of lower than expected debt issuance by Côte d'Ivoire and Mali's Issues Operations Manager of Uoma Titrus. The eight-nation economic and monetary union of West Africa comprises Benin, Burkina Faso, Côte d'Ivoire, Mali, Guinea-Bissau, Senegal, Niger and Togo. They share a regional central bank, the BCEAO, and the CFA franc currency, which is pegged to the euro. The US dollar is trading at 363.72 Nigerian Naira, 10.28 Botswana Pula, 100 Kenyan shillings and 71 cents, 11.89 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 3.70 Brazilian roll, 66.85 Russian ruble, 70.13 Indian rupee, 6.75 Chinese yuan and 13.80 South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,291, platinum $809 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $59.84 a barrel. Channel Africa. Our sports update up next was Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with football news. Egypt's sports ministry and football federation outlined their bid to be ready for the Africa Cup of Nations, which starts on the 15th of June. Egypt took over as host for the 2019 tournament last week after Cameroon was stripped of the event due to infrastructure delays and political instability. Sports Minister Akraf Sobi revealed that the opening ceremony and the first match will take place in the 74,000 capacity Cairo International Stadium, which was renovated before Egypt hosted the 20, 2006 edition. Football Federation President Hani Abu Rida said he had every confidence the country would deliver a tournament to make the nation proud. Authorities have already named eight stadiums they feel are ready to use in Cairo, Alexandria, Ismailia and Suez.
and former Bafana Bafana team manager Zola Dunya says the late Philmon Masinga, who passed away at the Johannesburg Hospital on Sunday, was a dedicated player and an asset to South African football. This, this is a very, very tragic loss. Loss not only to our organization, the South African Masters and Legends Footballer Association, from which he was also the vice president of this organization, but to the country as a whole, and I think the international football collectively. This, this, this man's contributions towards football in this country are well documented. I mean, amongst others, he scored the goal that took this country, South Africa, to its first World Cup in, 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 that qualified us in 1998 for our mm-hmm. first World Cup. Chipa, Phil Masinga, scored that goal. Oh, it's another one. Uh, Pakistan assistant coach Azam Mahmoud is optimistic that his side can pull off a win if their pacemen are able to put together a good second innings in the third test against the Proteas at the Bidvers Wanderers Stadium in Johannesburg. Chasing a target of 381 runs, Pakistan have already lost three wickets and finished day three with 228 runs still required to victory. Mahmoud believes if they can have a long partnership, particularly with Assad Shafiq on 48 runs and Baba Azam on 17 runs, then they will have a realistic chance of winning the test. Yeah, definitely. Uh, We've done it before and, uh, you know, the two guys are batting really well, uh, Babar and Assad. Uh, if, they, if they bat uh, for a long period of time, then we got a really good chance. And like, uh, like I said, you know... Uh, in the morning as well, you know, like when you get 50, you have to convert from those 50 to 70 and 70 to 100. If one of these guys, one of these guys can get 100 and do the same thing which Amla and uh, Decock did for South Africa, I think we got a chance. Pakistan having struggles with their betting all series long. Mahmoud said their lack of time to acclimatize to the conditions in South Africa prior to the beginning of the series has hampered their effort to get the better of the pacey and bouncy wickets? Uh, first of all, it's always tough when a subcontinent team came to South Africa. You know, there's always been uh, bounce and pace. But in this series, we've seen a lot of uneven bounce, which stayed uh, in your mind. And uh, I think, uh, yes, we didn't play well. If we have, a, I think, one or two more games before playing a test match that will be a different ball game if you see the boys are playing well now Sean is playing well Imam's playing well we see Asad Shafiq start to playing well if we had uh, unfortunately because of the international cricket you know we don't have that much time but uh, if we have one or two more games before we start the test match that will be a different Netball News the Spawn Netball Proteas stormed out of the blocks in their match against the Australian Diamonds in the opening match of the 2019 Sanzia Quad Series in Liverpool on Sunday. They were five goals ahead after the first quarter, but Australia finally ran out 62-45 winners. The Spa Proteas were in the lead for the first few minutes of the match, but the Diamonds came back hard, took the lead, and eventually emerged winners. South Africa play England next Saturday and New Zealand next Sunday. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Recapping our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the Sawa, South Africa's ruling ANC launches its election manifesto and Zimbabwe's government hikes fuel prices amid serious shortages. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuto Ramagaza and Khomuto Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa is Paul Hardcastle with a song titled You May Be Gone. Condolences to the family and friends of former Bafana Bafana striker Phil Chipa Masinga who passed away in a Johannesburg hospital yesterday. Masinga scored a crucial goal that saw South Africa go to the France World Cup, which was South Africa's first World Cup appearance in 1998.